Deep left into the bleachers. A two-run homer. A swing and a miss. Ball game. Liftoff. And history marches on. 22 consecutive wins. From the sports desk of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com, this is Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. Now, Ryan Lewis and Ashley Fastock. Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock, here with our beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. Ryan, we're recording this on Thursday morning. The game obviously got postponed yesterday. It was a scheduled off day today. Just, I feel like I don't talk to you often where you've had two off days in a row with this team so far. It's weird in the summer. But then again, the weather has been kind of playing tricks on everybody for the last couple of weeks where it's it was gorgeous for a couple of days. And then... Over the holiday weekend, um, it wasn't exactly great really until, um, you know, Monday. Um, but for the most of the weekend, it was just, it was less than ideal, at, you know, to say the least. And it's been going back and forth and all across baseball. There have been a lot of rainouts recently. And so it's, um, it's been a weird, unexpected schedule for sure. Yeah, no, I'm going to go a little out of order based on for to take you all behind the scenes. We have a shared outline in Google Docs that Ryan and I use. Um, so I'm going to jump kind of towards the end here. Take us back to Friday, because Friday and that game, it obviously ended up getting called after seven innings. But it seems like no one knew what was going on. And like I saw tweets about how awful the rain was at certain points and they were still playing through it. Like it took them a while to actually call it. Um, let's, let's start with there and, uh, what exactly happened with that game against Toronto and what it was like, you know, being, being a part of that. Yeah. I kept thinking about the couple hundred, couple dozen fans that seemed like they were actually trying to like outweigh the delay, um, in the seventh inning after sitting in the cold rain, wind, after sitting through all of that for a few hours with Cleveland trailing 11 to 2, the conditions are miserable. The game is almost certainly about to be called. It's in delay right now. It's a Friday night. Um, there were still people kind of sitting around and I just kept thinking like, you really got to want it to still be kind of sitting here. Those conditions were, were pretty brutal. The trees beyond the center field wall, I were, I don't know if I've ever seen them like blowing to one side like that. And the, the American and the Canadian flags, um, look like they were just like holding on for dear life. Um, if you look toward the lights, the, uh, the, the toothbrush like lights, um, you could just see like rain swirling around them. That, that was pretty brutal. Tito mentioned that they kind of felt bad for Eli Morgan, who's making his major league debut. And not only are the, are the conditions so crappy, but Outfielders were having such a, a tough time tracking down fly balls that, like, that doesn't really help your pitcher. So we really put him in a bad spot. Um, you know, Carl Willis yesterday said that there isn't a whole lot that they're going to take away from that start. Um, you know, his his velocity was actually slightly down compared to where they, they they thought he'd be based on what he was throwing in the minors. But you know, again, when you're throwing through basically a, a wind and rain and rainstorm, those differences are are, are plausible, and so that they're basically just going to throw that entire start out for him. So that was just kind of brutal. That was interesting that they, you know, they, they seemed really, really determined to get through that game. 
And then they delayed it for 36 minutes in the seventh inning. And I think everybody was kind of thinking that it's, it's time. It's, 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 it's time to move on from this game. So yeah, I, I also was, we were wondering if there were any people who were like, who were thinking, I'm going to sit through this because there are fireworks after this game and I want to see the fireworks, even though they had canceled the fireworks earlier in the day due to the wind. Which is good for you for tweeting that out. Like, you were the only one I saw tweet out about the fireworks. So if someone was waiting to watch them in that stadium, sitting through that weather, they could have looked at your Twitter feed and known, oh, okay, we can just go now. We don't have to watch this shellacking in this rain anymore. It was it was really, really cold for late May, although in Cleveland and, and you know, these days, I guess that can almost be expected. Just that wind and the rain and the way that it was affecting the trees and the way that it was affecting any ball put in the air, that was, that, that, that was a rough night. That's pretty close to the worst conditions that they've played through in, in a long time. Yeah, and I was going to ask, like, I don't know, like, on Saturday, maybe you can shed some insight into that game being postponed with the due to high winds, because I, I know I saw a lot of people on Twitter being like, what? And, you know, even people coming up to me in real life, like my friends being like, they postponed a game because of wind? Like, I know you obviously are not the decision maker there, but maybe you can shed some light on why that wind, you know, was seen as a as an issue for that game that caused them then to have to play the back-to-back doubleheaders on Sunday and Monday. I don't think that's the worst question. Because <laughs> after playing through Friday night, I mean, Saturday was would have been a, a walk in the park. Um, and that was the biggest complaint I saw, like that they they tried to play through Friday and and then Saturday comes along, comes around and and they decide to postpone. I think there are often a lot of factors that they're trying to take into consideration. You know, it's possible to have a situation where they try to get through Friday because the entire weekend might not look too great, but then on Saturday, if it looks like the wind might be worse than you thought originally, and it looks like Sunday might not be as bad, those two factors can kind of play together to say, all right, a doubleheader now makes sense because you're trying to capitalize on on two changes instead of one. I don't really know. I, I thought there were some interesting weather decisions this, this past weekend, to say the least, because Friday was just brutal. But, you know, they they got through it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it did kind of work out, so... I know there were some people, you know, there was one person I saw, at least one person who was upset because um, they, you know, they drove up um, on Saturday because there wasn't going to be rain in the forecast, but it, it ended up being wind. That was kind of the culprit for Saturday. So, I don't know, sometimes there are a lot of factors. It's, it's not always the the clearest decisions that, that they're trying to make. And while there there are still some, you know, COVID protocols that they're trying to follow, which, which kind of add a layer to it. So, um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I feel bad. For a little bit for Eli Morgan, it, it brought up the um, kind of a, an interesting question of is it better to make your major league start, your, your major league debut, and like get that in the books, like get it done. You've been in the major leagues now. You are you can always say that. No one can ever take that away from you, no matter what happens. Or do you want better conditions for it? Would you rather wait? He said that he was thankful that they played. That he he was worried all day that they were going to cancel it because who knows what happens after this. That was a, a a weird kind of angle that you don't normally see with, with conditions that bad. But, you know, that's kind of the situation that Eli Morgan was put in. And, you know, just kudos to the to the fans that, you know, kind of set it out. I saw a lot of people went to the corner for some for some shelter, which which wasn't the worst idea for a night. People were kind of making the best of it. Yeah. So before we dive in, I know we 
touched on Eli Morgan there, but we'll dive into the, the pitching situation a little bit more. But just want to do a quick follow-up from last week. If you all listened, you know that we drafted our favorite baseball movies. Um, it's amazing that Ryan and I are still talking, number one. Yeah. But but in our discussion of A League of Their Own, we talked about the end of the movie where Dottie drops the ball, um, and obviously Kit is safe at home. The Rockford Peaches lose. Um, obviously you and I offline talked about how it's a much debated topic about whether Dottie dropped the ball on purpose or whether Kit just got the best of her for the first time, arguably ever, um, playing baseball. So you mentioned there are whole Reddit threads where there are arguments and there have been for years about whether people think this was intentional on Dottie's part or not. Um, so I ran a very scientific Twitter poll for 24 hours and to my surprise, 79% of people who voted said Dottie dropped the ball on purpose. Um, and I'm not necessarily surprised that people think that. What I'm surprised about is that that was the runaway answer here. I thought it would be much more split. And I think you did as well, based on uh, what we were talking about, where neither of us really even wanted to commit to an answer so as to not anger the masses, potentially. Yeah, I mean, we didn't want to drive people down any certain path. Um, but I think, you know, kind of like we talked about last week, there are movies and TV shows that can leave things open-ended, and sometimes it can be, I guess, a little frustrating for the viewers or, or, or fans of, of the show or, or the movie. And Because, you know, if, if, if there's a specific answer or a, a specific detail or something like that that the show is building toward and then it's not in the ending, that just kind of leaves you... It's kind of empty handed, but there are other times when leaving something open ended like that and kind of leaving it up to the viewer like that really adds a layer to it. Um, you know, like a movie that I like that a lot of people did not like for this reason. I really like the movie uh, Shutter Island with Leo DiCaprio and that it leaves some things open to interpretation at the end. And so does this. And I think that sometimes it works and it's kind of the there's a kind of almost like a beauty in like kind of that artistic direction of wanting it to be open for interpretation and just allowing it to kind of play out. But it's a great movie. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we we drafted each other's favorite baseball movie. I came out swinging in this one. I yeah. said, oh. I, I did not expect that at all. I had my board ready to go. I had League of Their Own on top because I figured you would take that and Feel the Dreams, my number one movie. I figured I would easily take that and draft would start. And you pulled the rug out from under me and just changed everything. And we were scrambling in our draft room. There are papers like flying around. People are screaming. It was, it was really bad. Not to relitigate the entire draft, but like the funny thing is like, that was a pure strategy pick for me. Well, I, I shouldn't say pure strategy pick because field of dreams is in my top five, right? Like I would say my top five that I, that I really wanted was league of their own field of dreams, major league, um, the sandlot, and Rookie of the Year. Like, those are all movies that I have a personal connection to, and granted, like, I'm leaving things off, like, Bull Durham, whatever, but these are the movies that I grew up with. So Field of Dreams for me, I'm like, well, if I don't take it first, and I take League of Their Own, I'm like, I know Ryan's going to take it second, and I'm going to get so much hate for not taking, like, what is, I would say, arguably, objectively, the best baseball movie in this genre. Um, It just is, even though A League of Their Own is just my favorite because I've seen it the most and I, I want, definitely watched that one younger. Um, but that, that was kind of my thinking. I'm like, you know what? We gotta, 
we got to make the strategy pick here. Sometimes you just got to pick so that a competitor does not have access to that thing or person, the, the person or thing in this case, which is the movie. So that was my reasoning. I had to, had to pull a fast one on you there, but um, all was well with the way we, we ended up trading. Yeah. Yeah. We worked out a, a, a very, a pretty stupid fake baseball draft movie trade. Um, yeah, but I mean, you went, you went best player available. You know, you, you, you stuck to your board. You didn't go with your heart in the moment. Um, so I, I think a lot of not pull Avante Mac no matter what, which, you know, maybe I should have, but what a tough one. But I mean, that hurt because Field of Dreams is my favorite movie, like period, even not in the baseball drama or, uh, uh baseball category. Yeah. Um, so that hurt. That hurt. And then me taking the League of Their Own though. I, I, I could see the pain uh, for you as well. Yours was more cruel because you were strictly doing that to get back at me. Like, that was completely out of spite. Yes. I thought I thought for sure I'm like, oh, he doesn't get Field of Dreams. Like he'll he'll take Major League, which like, uh, like I can maybe live with. But then you had the wherewithal to remember my favorite movie, and we're like, oh no, 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 you're not going to get that either. If I can't get Field of Dreams, just pure spite in your heart, Ryan. And a pox on your house. Um, information is power, and we we both had that information on the, on each other for our, our our number one movies. I think we'll we'll have more drafts of some sort. Well, folks, um, you may have heard Ryan trail off there. Maybe you heard me trail off. We're not really sure what happened. I think it was Ryan's internet connection because he logged off and is now back. So, Ryan, I'm glad you are like a mini. IT person at your home. That scared me so much. I don't remember what we were talking about. We were talking about our draft strategy and how you had spite in your heart for taking a league of their own, and then your internet decided to to pay you back. Yeah, I think that was karma. Unbelievable. I'm 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 actually glad that the universe shows that it is listening sometimes, and karma is real. Yeah. For my spiteful pick. My internet dropped out. I actually, I, I, I appreciate that. I will hat tip the universe on that one. And another pulling behind the curtains moment. Ryan and I, our biggest fear is that we, we finish a podcast and it's great. We send it, go to send it in and the recording just isn't there or something along those lines. And then we have to redo it, which thankfully we've never had a major issue like that. But the first thing yeah. Ryan said when he got back onto the call is, is the recording still going? Knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> So we did, we, we're all set. So let's dive into the pitching because I think the last week since we last recorded, that's kind of been the, the major storylines. So Tristan McKenzie was optioned to AAA Columbus, as we all know at this point, after walking 30 batters and 31 and a third innings, which at the time led the league. And he admitted it had become as much of a mental issue as a physical one that once he walked one batter, his focus was mainly on not walking another as opposed to attacking hitters the way he would in a normal way. Um, So he's optioned down. Obviously, you have Zach Plesak getting injured last week, which we talked about in detail on last week's podcast. Um, And Tristan McKenzie suddenly has an opportunity again. We talked about his outing against Detroit last week, but let's shift gears to Monday against the White Sox. He was tagged for four runs in the second inning and five runs for the day. Obviously, Cleveland's defense had some issues in that game. They weren't exactly innocent bystanders. But unlike his previous outings before he was optioned down to AAA, 
McKenzie fights back. He goes on to strike out eight consecutive batters, which is a franchise record. He breaks Corey Kluber's mark of seven consecutive batters struck out. Um, It was an up and down outing overall, but the fact that he rebounded to strike out that many batters in a row certainly allows us to put on some rose colored glasses here with this outing in particular. So I guess broadly, Ryan, just where do things stand with him now? Well, for the time being, um, you know, based on the last time that we talked with Tito, um, you know, they're trying to kind of figure out where they stand as a pitching staff and as, as, as a 40 man roster, not just the active roster, but the 40 man roster and just trying to piece things together. Um, so that's kind of the first step. I think the term that Tito mentioned was, you know, let them get their house in order first was kind of the term that he used. But in terms of, of, you know, Tristan, Kind of taking advantage of this opportunity, he's he's done pretty well, um, considering this wasn't supposed to happen. He wasn't supposed to be in the majors yet. The idea was to give him plenty of time in a less pressure-packed environment in AAA, let him work out some things. Um, you know, it's kind of the same thing with with Logan Allen. You know, they they did not see this as a short-term, have one start in AAA and then come back, uh, you know, type situation. They wanted to give them time to really work out some things and. Uh, Zach Plesak getting hurt uh, really kind of threw a wrench in those plans. And suddenly uh, Tristan McKenzie has to come back. And Tito joked, you know, great job. Uh, I, I forget the, the verbatim quote, but he said something like, you know, great job working all this out on such short notice. Um, because he he wasn't supposed to start in the majors yet, uh, but he's done well. And, you know, the second inning against the White Sox, uh, he did get roughed up, but he also wasn't helped out um, by Cleveland's defense, which which lately has has just not been great. Um, really, for the most part, across the board. But then, he, you know, he, he K's eight guys in a row. And that's kind of why he's been so tantalizing for the franchise. You know, that's why some of these younger pitchers are so intriguing and, and can be so valuable. Because with guys like Tristan McKenzie have such a high ceiling. The problem is, is that, you know, some of these guys also have relatively low floors. And McKenzie was really pitching near his floor for a few weeks. And it's it's really more of a question of how often can he get closer to his ceiling and how often will he be closer to his floor? Um, because you know when when he has struggled with his command, he's really struggled. But when he's on, uh, you know he has major league stuff and he has a, a major league you know level arsenal. And that's one of the things that that Carl Willis talked about yesterday. You know he mentioned. You know sometimes pitchers can have confidence, but actually one of the one of the later things to come around is their own belief that their stuff is major league stuff and that they don't have to do these extra things um, to allow their stuff to play. And that's part of the process that Tristan McKenzie is still going through. You know, last year he has this great major league debut. He strikes out 10 guys. He proves his friend's dream, right? All of this stuff, all this like momentum that he had. And then later on in the year, he did start to struggle a little bit. He came down to earth a little bit. He had the velocity drop. And so going into this year now, he's coming off of really just a handful of starts that followed roughly two years of just not really having a competitive out, like a really competitive outing. Um, so he's had such a strange journey to this point. And, you know, getting through a 162-game season is still somewhat of a question mark. And so he hasn't really proven it to to such a great degree yet, but he has the stuff, and I think, you know, in – in terms of what Carl Willis was saying, he's getting there in terms of kind of allowing his stuff and trusting his stuff that it will play, 
that he doesn't need to be so perfect. He doesn't need to hit every single corner all the time, which can lead to, to some walks. And, you know, and as, as you mentioned, when, when he started to walk some guys, that's kind of snowballed on him. And that's been the problem is that once he walks one guy, it tends to balloon to three or four or five relatively quickly. And then he's got to be taken out of the game. So, you know, lately that hasn't really been the case. He's been able to fight back in the last two starts. He's been able to rebound from a walk or, or from a, a poor inning, which is something that Cleveland's been looking for. It's, it has showed progression. You know, they've used the term, you know, uh, it, it's a big step for him. Um, so, you know, it, it certainly remains to be seen, you know, what kind of, of a level of consistency that, that he can kind of regain. Um, but there's a reason that teams value, you know, some of these younger pitchers so much. Um, and, and it's because when he strikes out eight guys in a row facing a White Sox lineup that, yes, is missing, you know, two of its key pieces, uh, but it's still a formidable lineup. And, you know, seeing him basically go through the entire lineup, striking everybody out, especially after the, the, the rough inning that he had, you know, they know that that's in there. The question is just, you know, how, how often can Tristan McKenzie unlock it? Um, but you know, they've, they've seen progression with him that they think is important. It, it may be just as much mental as it is physical at this point and just him being a younger pitcher. And this is something that guys do go through. You know, this isn't, this isn't unique to, to Tristan McKenzie necessarily. Um, it's just, he's just the one going through it right now. Seeing him have a stretch like that, it, it is difficult to probably not put him in the rotation right now, at least going forward. But for the time being, um, you know, the schedule breaks down to where they have a little bit of a break over the next week where they can kind of catch their breath, and then they're going to need to have some answers um, for about a month uh, heading forward, which, you know, I, I think that we'll, we'll talk about more later on. But, um, you know, he, he he's a leading candidate to be part of that for sure, especially with the way he's pitched and especially with the way that he's handled a, a sudden change in circumstances, which isn't always the easiest thing to handle either. So he's, you know, a, as a younger Pitcher, I think he's done pretty well, and I think he's he's displayed some of the signs that that the team wants to see, um, you know, and cons- consistency and kind of trusting himself um, to an even greater extent are kind of the next steps. Do you think at this point he's and I don't know if they've announced it and I just missed it, but has he earned himself another start? Do you think at this point? I think he has. Some of that is dependent on. Again, scheduling and, and, and some other variables that are kind of beyond his control with the 40 man roster and the active roster. Um, so as of, as of right now, so we're recording this on Thursday. Mejia is going to start Friday in Baltimore. Savali is going to start Saturday. And then at this point, they have a number of options for Sunday and Monday and onward. Uh, but that has not been announced yet. They're kind of wanting to keep their options open. I think he has earned another start. Is he anywhere near a complete product? No. It, are there some concerns that he could have a blow-up outing? Yes. But he's also displayed, you know, some flashes of brilliance. That they know they know that's in there. And so that's why he's so just intriguing as a younger option, as one of the, you know, half half a dozen younger options that, you know, that, that could be in the rotation for the next few weeks at least. I think he has, if they want to give him another starting start AAA or, or or even two to continue to work, to work things out while they have other options now, while they have a little bit of a break and they don't necessarily need a fifth starter for a while. They have options now. Um, I, I think he has. Um, I think that stretch was, was exactly what the team wanted to see. Not only in that it's obviously good if you strike out eight people in a row, that's kind of the point and, and the goal every time out, but to, to have it as, 
as sort of a, of a rebound element after the poor beginning, which again, the defense didn't really help him out. Um, so it, it wasn't necessarily all on him. But still, you know, to give up four runs, then to come back and, and, and do that, I think that's exactly what they were kind of looking for as evidence that he has progressed um, at least a certain amount. So I think so, but it's also kind of dependent on, um, you know, some some roster situations and just piecing things together for uh, uh, for the next few for the next few days and really for the next week. All right, let's transition to the ace of the staff. Shane Bieber. Um, let's talk about his off-speed stuff a little bit, because you've written about that, um, especially after his start against the White Sox. But let's go back to his start against the Tigers. Um, you talked about how he struggled to find his curveball a lot recently, but he went to it 45 times in that game. He had a no-hitter going into the seventh. Um, and then on Tuesday against the White Sox, he used his slider more. This time it was more about that pitch working than his curveball being off, like you wrote about in your walk-off thoughts. He threw his slider 36 times, the most of any pitch, and he generated nine whiffs with it. So Bieber, you wrote about, he's rounded off his off-speed pitches into form. He's only using his changeup and cutter a handful of times in each outing. So just what's been going on with him and those pitches specifically? It's kind of come down to, he just some of his pitches just haven't really been working how, how he's been wanting them to work. And he hasn't really been hitting his spots like he was last year. Now, the analogy that I kind of keep using is he's kind of like a, a a jet that's maybe going through some turbulence where like the flight is still fine. Like it, it, if it's a bumpier flight, it's still fine. Uh, you know, he, and he hasn't really been pitching poorly. Yet. He he's still been an, an effective pitcher. It just hasn't quite been as smooth as it was last year, and it you know he just hasn't quite been. Uh, you know the 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 world destroyer ace that he was for sixty games last year. Even though that's a pretty high bar to try to meet, you know, going forward. And that, that was never really going to happen, but he, he has kind of had to grind through some starts um, to a greater extent than he has uh, for quite some time. And that that's kind of been a, a, a product of not really having the feel for a slider for a while and not really being happy with that pitch and having to rely on the other parts of his, of his arsenal, which he hasn't really had to do for a while before this stretch. And then he had to start against uh, Minnesota where he didn't like how how his curveball was moving, and so he he had to go to a slider, which he was still kind of working on, and and then things that kind of started to click against Detroit, and his, his curveball was very effective. He went to it a lot, you know, as uh, you mentioned, um, and now he I, it seems like he's starting to round into form. I mean, it seems like he's starting to have a have a more complete kind of picture of 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 what he's trying to do and and he's been able to to execute it to a greater degree. He's been hitting his spots a little bit more. Carbos mentioned a couple of weeks ago that because because Bieber was throwing so much, he was setting, you know, new personal records for for pitch counts and games, you know, almost every start for a while. They weren't able to work on things in between his starts quite as much as they would have liked because they are trying to be cautious with him. He's obviously extremely crucial part to their postseason hopes. Um, so they weren't trying to push him too much in between his starts while also maximizing what they get in game. Um, so it, it may be extended, you know, the, the period of time necessary to, to work out some of these issues. But, um, you know, Tito mentioned, I think after the Detroit start that, that they felt and, and, and Shane Bieber, is, that he was kind of close to, to kind of taking off again. And, close to figuring it out. And it seems like that has been the case a little bit where he feels more comfortable throwing both his curveball and his slider 
then he's got the cutter and the changeup that, that he can kind of work off of that. And, um, you know, those pitches are, are, you know, both of those pitches were developed at different times, really just to give hitters different looks to, to keep them off of, of his, uh, of his three kind of primary pitches that are kind of his bread and butter that are among some of the better pitches in baseball, especially his curveball and slider, uh, you know, for a while. So, you know, he's, he, it does seem like he is starting to kind of find it again and he's, he's starting to kind of get out of this more turbulent, uh, you know, stretch. But they need him. You know, r- right now it's, it's Bieber, Savali, and then question marks. You know, they have just a number of options that are all younger pitchers who don't really have as much of a track record. Tons of potential. So much long-term potential. So much long-term value that's there. But bet- between Sam Henches, Tristan McKenzie, you have uh, Mejia, Eli Morgan, Cal Quantrill, uh, Logan Allen, Scott Moss could be an option. All these guys are, are kind of, they're all right there as candidates to kind of piece together the back end of this rotation um, and, and really the final three spots until Zach, Zach Plesak gets back. Um, but after Bieber and Savali, there are a lot of question marks. So Bieber becoming 2020 Bieber um, is certainly something that they would welcome, but, you know, in general, but especially right now. And, you know, it, it seems like he's kind of been rounding into form, but you know, his evolving breaking ball usage has been kind of interesting to watch because it's sort of changed outing to outing to outing um, to where it's, it's dependent on how his curveball is felt versus how his slider is felt. And, and then you layer on um, individual hit, hitting matchups. You layer on how teams are, you know, adjusting to him, you know, especially when he's pitching in the division, he's faced the White Sox three times. Um, so, you know, you never really know, uh, you know, how a lineup may adjust to you on a given night. So there are all these variables kind of playing off each other all at once. But he, you know, he, he does seem to be kind of finding it again. And, um, you know, that's, that's certainly something that, that, that they're going to welcome because there are so many question marks with this rotation all of a sudden, at least for the next few weeks, that it's not a situation that, they, that they've been in, in in quite a while. So Shane, Shane kind of getting there is, 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 is a huge boost for this team. It's, it'll be a, 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 an intriguing storyline to watch just as he kind of continues to evolve how, how he, uh, sequences his pitches and especially his, his breaking balls, which have been, you know, his, his real, the, the real key to his success for a long time. Yeah. I mean, those, the final three spots, like you said, while please is out in that rotation are, are definitely interesting. I mean, I'm personally kind of intrigued to see what they do with Cal Quantrill and what he does with whatever opportunity he's given. Just, I mean, just knowing he was in the mix for that fifth spot in, you know, throughout the spring and stuff, I'm definitely intrigued and especially with what we saw from him this weekend. Yeah, um, and you know Cal had a, a a really tough spring, and going into spring camp, yeah, he he was definitely a, the, one of the front runners with along with Tristan McKenzie to get one of those rotation spots, and then he just did not have a good showing in spring. He did not really round into form in time, and Logan Allen just set the Cactus League on fire basically, and and forced his way into the rotation. But since really the middle of April, uh, Cal Contrals had a a pretty nice stretch. Somewhat quietly because he, you know, he hasn't pitched in, you know, in too many high leverage situations due to, you know, even Nick Sandlin and Brian Shaw and Emmanuel Clause and James Karinchak kind of handling all of those situations. But he's had a statistically a nicer stretch. He did pretty well, um, with his, with his outing in the, in one of the two doubleheaders. And, you know, uh, Tito and Carwell has both kind of said, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really about maintaining that aggressiveness. And that's something that for the most part, they've, you know, they've, they've liked, but the, you know, that's what they need to see is that when you transition from being a reliever 
to having to worry about, uh, you know, throwing four, five, six innings. Um, it's it. A lot of it is about trying to maintain that aggressiveness and not taking your foot off the gas enough to try to get through that. That it that, that it lowers your effectiveness and everything. And um, you know, he's done pretty well. So he he's another option. And at at 26 years old, out of the really six or seven potential. Uh, you know, options on the 40-man roster that they have to fill out the final two spots and three spots without Plesak. He's the he's kind of the grandpa of the group at 26. Um, but he's still, you know, he's he's a versatile option for them that he has had plenty of experience in the bullpen and in the rotation. But he's he's pitched well recently, so he's he's another guy. Mackenzie has probably earned uh, you know some more chances. Mejia has earned some more chances, and he, he's going to get he's going to get one Friday night because he's pitched pretty well. Quantrill has probably earned more more opportunities. And then you have Eli Morgan, who certainly didn't hurt his case because again, you kind of have to throw his start out. So, you know, you, there are plenty of options and then you have Logan Allen and Scott Moss potentially down the road. Um, so it's a, it's a crowded group. Uh, but Quantrill's right there again. He, he's, he's kind of putting himself back into the situation where he was at the beginning of the spring. All right. Let's talk about the, the one thing I really wanted to talk about with the lineup. Um, and that's Jose Ramirez left Tuesday's game due to hydration. Um, we talked about last week with Brandon Mel Reyes out with an injury that Jose should be in bubble wrap for the foreseeable future, but he's going to be fine, right? He's fine. <laughs> he's fine. <laughs> and he's a crucial part of this lineup. I mean, period. As a perennial MVP candidate, as very possibly still somehow one of the more underrated players in baseball. I guess it was kind of understandable that he was for a long time kind of in the shadow of Francisco Lindor and that Lindor being traded was such a huge storyline. But Ramirez's statistics over the last, you know, few seasons and especially over his last, you know, 162 games, you know, people keep throwing out an update on that. And he's been one of the best hitters and one of the best players in all of baseball. And he just doesn't quite get the same level of, you know, uh, credit for it, I guess. But he's been a crucial part to this lineup with, with, with Fran Reyes out. Um, that is even, uh, that's the case to an even greater extent, but he's fine. Um, you know, when, when he did leave the game, Twitter, uh, Cleveland baseball Twitter did get really nervous really quickly because there wasn't an explanation for a while for why, for why Yu Chang was suddenly at third base. Um, but he should be fine going forward. It was just a, a one night thing according to, to what we've been told. And so he's, he's fine. So while, while he is, Probably needing to be covered in bubble wrap. They also need to include like a straw so that he can be hydrated enough to be fine. So that maybe that's the one adjustment they'll make, but he's fine. And the last kind of point to touch on that I know you've written about a handful of times, just this stretch coming off and the number of off days, like provide the people some insight if they haven't looked at the schedule on what's ahead for this team. And um, with yesterday's game being postponed, how many days off do they have in? X number of days now. Yeah, so the way that the schedule is broken down and the way that the weather has kind of impacted that schedule. So starting with yesterday, which was June 2nd uh, through June 10th, um, so through next Thursday, Cleveland will have four off days in a nine-day period now, which really allows them some breathing room because, you know, you can keep Bieber and Savali either on their schedules or just one day off of their schedules and you won't really need that the type of depth in the rotation that's kind of been the issue right now. So through Thursday, June 10th, 
Um, you know, they have a lot of flexibility with how they can handle the, the rotation. They have a lot of flexibility with things that they can do with the active roster and the 40-man roster. Starting on June 11th, that flexibility is not only gone, but completely reversed. Almost no flexibility for about a month. They'll play 30 games in 31 days. They'll play, let's see, two, nine, doing some math right on the flyer. They're going to play 12 games in a row before an off day, and then they'll play every day through the All-Star break. So getting to the All-Star break becomes one of the two major hurdles for this team, the other one being the lineup producing enough without Fran Moreas um, available. So, you know, for the time being, that's one of the reasons why they've kept their options open for Sunday's game, uh, which would be June 6th. They've kept their options open because they just want to be able to to have some flexibility because they're, they're going to have a lot of options for a while. Starting, starting on June 11th, which is a, a home game against Seattle and a home series against Seattle, when they return home, you know, they're going to have to have a much more, I guess, concrete or at least, uh, you know, planned out schedule where they can maybe adjust a little bit, but they're going to have to have guys lined up to a much greater extent than they will now. And so that's going to be when kind of some questions have to be answered, at least to an extent, um, because you can't just be, you know, it's it's a little more difficult to just be rotating guys between the majors and AAA. If you don't have injuries, you know, there, there, there are some rules that are that can be difficult uh, to go around. Um, so, so you can't just be shipping guys, you know, every four or five days from Cleveland to Columbus uh, down or up I-71 like that. That just doesn't that just doesn't really work unless you have injuries, which if you have that many injuries, you're going to run into other problems. So that's kind of one of the major story uh, storylines starting on June 11th. They have 30 games in 31 days. And with the rotation, with, with so many guys who are um, younger with question marks, without track records, having to handle 60% of the starts, um, you know, for, for at least, a, for at least the next several weeks, that's going to be a, a much tougher situation. Um, so they've, the first tough stretch was the past week uh, with, you know, four double headers um, with the, with the schedule, the way that it broke down and just the timing of it with injuries and with other guys struggling and being set down. They got through the first tough stretch. They, they were successful on that front. Now they have a bit of a breather for about a week to where the, the, they should be okay. They should have enough options to kind of get through. Um, but a lot of it's going to be about, not just getting through these games, but about aligning their pitching and uh, getting guys on um, some more set routine routines and kind of figuring out, uh, you know, which six or seven guys who could be options on the 40 man, who will fill those three spots? Because uh, uh, Sam Hatches is the one guy kind of in that group who has had, you know, his, his, his kind of routine and he's kind of had his place set, but he's also struggled. Um, you know, he hasn't really, he hasn't performed to the point of, uh, you know, erasing that debate or erasing that question mark of is his spot up for grabs as well. Um, so you, you really have three spots that potentially over the next week they're going to have to kind of set for the next month. Um, and, you know, until then, they're not going to be able to really get a breather until the All-Star break. And so getting getting to that point and getting Zach Plesak back, uh, you know, those, those are two major benchmarks in the season, um, you know, that, that Cleveland's going to have to try to get to. Um, and, and, and getting there is, it could be a, a bit of a bumpier road. Or, you know, if, if Tristan McKenzie finds it, if Mejia continues to pitch well, if Quantrill continue, continues to pitch well, 
they they could have the depth uh, to do it. The only issue is, you know, you're just dealing with younger pitchers who, again, have high ceilings, which is always a positive, but, you know, less of a track record, less of a, a, a factor of consistency. Um, so 30, 30 games in 31 days, um, that is, it's one of the huge, you know, uh, question marks. And that's, that's kind of the, the benchmark of getting to the All-Star game now is kind of the, the setup and kind of the challenge facing the team. Well, I'm tired just hearing you explain the schedule and hearing you do math live on this podcast. Um, personally, I'm exhausted just from that. But, you know, we're going to be off next week. So you can catch us back here on June 17th where we will, you know, go through the last two weeks. We'll have plenty to talk about. I'm sure um, we might have something else to relitigate from our favorite movie draft. And we were talking offline. We think we're going to have another fantasy draft that episode. So if you liked last week's um, with the progressive field soon to be at full capacity by the time we record again, um, we have something fun planned. So until then, signing off. This has been leading off a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock. You can find me on Twitter at Ashley Bastock 42. He's Ryan Lewis. Follow him at by Ryan Lewis on Twitter for all of his Cleveland baseball coverage.